You're tuned into the COVID-19 Community Report here on KDRT-LP 95.7 FM in Davis, California. I'm Autumn Labbe-Renault. Today is Tuesday, March 23rd, 2021. We're sharing local news and resources focusing on what's impacting Davis and nearby cities in Yolo County during the COVID-19 pandemic. And this is episode 57. My guest today is Jenaba Lahai, Director of Programs for the Yolo County Children's Alliance. And we'll get to that interview in just a couple of minutes. I first became aware of Jenaba and her work when she was a panelist on one of the recent COVID-19 community needs panels presented by the Yolo Community Foundation in partnership with Sutter Health. The fifth and final presentation in the series takes place this Thursday, March 25th at 11 a.m. And you can find the link to register for the Zoom at YOLOCF, that's F as in Frank, dot org. This week's topic is What's Next? A Look Toward Recovery. And the speakers are UC Davis Chancellor Gary May, Sutter Davis Hospital CEO Rachel McKinney, Yolo County Board of Supervisors Chair Jim Provenza, and Valley Vision Executive Director Evan Schmidt. It should be a good wrap-up to what's been a great series. And a tip of the hat to Jessica Hubbard at Yolo Community Foundation and her team, as well as the folks at Sutter Health for supporting. Well, it's been another week living under COVID, but it's a week with cause for optimism. We're just wrapping up two weeks worth of good metrics to meet orange tier criteria. The relevant metrics include an adjusted case rate of 2.7% and a test positivity rate of just 0.5%. Accordingly, we'll move to the orange tier in Yolo County starting tomorrow, March 24th. The change from tier to tier becomes official when the California Department of Public Health says it is. An orange tier means means a much broader based reopening. A few examples include grocery stores will be open at 100% occupancy, places of worship can reopen at 50% occupancy, and entertainment venues such as bowling alleys and escape rooms are reopened. There's a lot more, and all the details will be at yolocounty.org under the COVID-19 resources page. However, Yolo County's public health officer, Dr. Amy Sisson, cautions that such a broad-based reopening only underscores the need to continue to protect ourselves with mask wearing, physical distancing, and getting immunized when, it, when it's possible for our tier. On that note, the county reports it will pro- provide about 4,000 second doses this week, but few first doses as there's still a shortage of vaccine supplies. And they estimate we won't see an appreciable increase in the vaccine supply until at least April. Meanwhile, with regard to the opening of schools, the California Department of Public Health has updated its consolidated schools guidance to be consistent with the CDC guidelines. It has backed away from requiring that student desks be six feet apart and instead issued a strong recommendation they be three feet apart. I guess it's up to the schools to figure that out. Locally, our public schools open on April 12th. I'll give an update on Healthy Davis together after the interview, but first let's take a brief moment for music and I'll be right back with Jenna Bullahai.
All right, we're back. It is Women's Herstory Month, and I'm delighted I get to interview another phenomenal woman today. My guest is Jennabelle Lahai. She is the Director of Programs for the Yolo County Children's Alliance, which helps families, particularly non-English speaking families, to access services, learn valuable parenting skills, and find support in a myriad of ways. She also serves on the Yolo County Health Council as its vice chair, and that uh, entity helps connect the county to medical service providers. Jenniba, thanks so much for joining me. Hi. Uh, good afternoon, Autumn. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. And, um, happy Herstory Month to everyone. Yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, please tell us a little bit about yourself and, in particular, how you came to be working for Yolo County Children's Alliance, which we're going to refer to as YCCA after this. Yes, yeah, so um, <laughs> I have a pretty intricate history. I am a refugee and immigrant from West Africa. Mm-hmm. My parents are from Sierra Leone. However, I was born in Liberia. Hmm. Liberia has a very interesting history with the United States. So if you think about black history and the people who fought for the emancipation of um, slaves, uh, Marcus Garvey was one of the mm-hmm. historical figures at that time. So Marcus Garvey, when the slaves were emancipated, when they were free, he took some slaves back to Africa, and they founded or they established a country called Liberia. Right. And that's where I was born. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, so um, at a very young age, I uh, went through a civil war at the time um, in the early 90s. Uh, the country was very stable, one of the most prosperous countries in Africa at that time, but then a civil war um, happening. There was a government coup, and um, my mom and I had to relocate to a different country. Wow. Um, Yeah, (laughs) a French-speaking country. So um, ended up being refugees for a while until my uncle found us, um, who lived in that country, Uh, stayed with him for a bit. Um, Then my mom contacted my father, who lived here in the States at the time. She wanted me to come and live with him, um, you know, just so that I'm in a safe safe place mm-hmm. as well as, you know, to continue my education because at that time, you know, I went from a English-speaking school system to a French-speaking school system. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So to say that you have a lot of uh, empathy for many of the families you work with and serve is, is not an understatement because you do understand what it's like to come from other places, to have to integrate and, you know, be in a new place, a new culture, and learn new things. So I imagine that's very important yeah. in your work. No, it is very important in everything that I do. Yeah. Um, I empathize and I can relate, I connect with people who have been through similar circumstances Mm -hmm. and uh, with people who are trying on a day-to-day to to just, um, you know, get by and to survive and thrive. Um, That's what drew me to social services in general and uh, the work that we do at Yolo County Children's Alliance. We are there to support families, uh, not just families. We're there to support senior adults 
to support um, adults going through homelessness, children, youth, and the entire family. Uh, we have programs. We've been around for over 15 years. We have programs from home visitation to our family resource center to our homeless services program that we provide in West Sacramento, as well as our free tax preparation services, mm -hmm. our early childhood education services. So we try to tailor the program to the needs of the families. And this pandemic has shown us, uh, ha has shown us exactly what happens when people do not feel supported or when we, uh, or when the inequality gap gaps that people were experiencing, mm -hmm. how that extends even more during uh, a crisis. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this pandemic has done a fine job of pulling back and exposing all the gaps in what we thought was a safety net and realizing, you know, just how vulnerable, vulnerable populations are. And, okay. you know, you, you talked about that. I mentioned at the top of the show that I, I became... Um, you know, more aware of you and your work when you recently spoke on a, the Yolo Community Foundation panel, uh, sort of a what comes next, next post-COVID. And what struck me was, you know, we talk about essential needs, but then there's essential needs that, as you've been describing, are so complicated by, uh, by different types of, of barriers. You told a story in particular about what it's like for immigrant families to access um, say, food bank services or food closet services. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because I, it, it was something that had never occurred to me. Sure. Um, so we are a food distribution site. Uh, food is very important in what we do, mm -hmm. especially at the Family Resource Center. We not only have a weekly food distribution in West Sacramento, but we also provide emergency food bags for families. Mm -hmm. So through our emergency food bag for families, as well as our food voucher, emergency food voucher program, we've come to realize that, you know, culturally, our region is very diverse. West Sacramento is very diverse. Davis is very diverse. Yolo County in general is very diverse. Mm -hmm. So a family spoke with one of our um, direct services um, his managers and shared the need for additional resources in regards to food. So especially when you come from a different country, mm -hmm. you tend to miss your food. Yeah. <laughs> I can relate to that too because um, I, I will go through these periods where I miss my native food. So um, the food that's provided is what is in the normal grocery mm -hmm. store that you'll go to to purchase food. However, you know, if you are from Mexico or Guatemala or Africa or any other country or um, Cambodia, we have families that come to us from Vietnam or Cambodia, okay. um, there are certain grocery stores that you tend to frequent yeah. <laughs> um, that may not have the, that has the food of your culture. So we've made an effort to be um, mindful of that through our emergency food voucher program as well as the uh, emergency food bag program we have at the resource center 
And one thing that we were so blessed, I'm still in deep gratitude of this, that we had organizations like, um, you know, Travis Credit Union Mm -hmm. and Union Pacific, all these different organizations who were very responsive to the needs of families during the pandemic, especially basic needs in regards to food. Some were able to donate uh, funds, and we took those funds to purchase gift cards in certain places where families can go and access those additional uh, items that they needed. That's fabulous. Yeah. Uh, Go ahead. No, I was going to say another thing that comes up, too, is um, baby food, you know, things that children like to eat in particular because uh, I was a picky eater as a kid <laughs> and <laughs> when we talk to our parents they go through a lot with their children the picky eaters so uh, we were so grateful to be able to provide um, that need for our family during the pandemic. Yeah it, I say this with utmost respect for all of our our food banks closets and and you yeah. know providers within that safety net but it is I would imagine, you know, you can't find things like plantains or fish sauce at, at your average uh, food bank or, or food bag pickup. So that kind of the way you're bridging the gap in those services becomes really important. I also, I know that you can't find things like, as you said, diapers or sanitary products or, mm-hmm. you know, even shampoo, conditioner, these things that we all use ev- all the time and often run out of, and they are expensive. So that that's a wonderful um, service. I know why CCA provides such a broad range of services. Something I'm wondering about now is, you know, this pandemic looks to be, you know, rolling toward a conclusion. People are getting vaccinated, but it doesn't mean that we're not going to experience another pandemic. So I'm wondering how service providers like YCCA are are beginning to think about and plan for what comes next. I'm especially thinking about what happens when things like um, eviction protections and stimulus assistance um, has ended. Are are you having those conversations within your organization? Oh, yes. We're having those conversations constantly. Um, We have realized how technology is, how technology plays a bigger role in our society. Mm -hmm. One of the things that we were, you know, a little alarmed at is how disconnected some of our underserved population were in regards to technological needs. A lot of our families utilize their cell phones constantly to engage in technology. So when everything had to go virtual, for example, our home visitation program had to be virtual, had to go virtual in, in the beginning of the pandemic um, with particular cases for emergencies when the home visitors will need to go and drop off food bags or diapers, wipes, formula, shampoo, all of those basic needs, especially if the family had to quarantine um, because of a COVID infection. So our home visitors would physically go to the homes and drop off those needed goods. They were acting as support as a family support or community support for their clients while they were sheltering in place. So back to technology, um, there's a huge 
technology divide, and I'm, I'm glad that a lot of organizations are taking a look at that and addressing that need right now. So we're looking at how to be more innovative with technology um, and how to support families in accessing resources that will reduce their uh, cell phone bills as well as their Internet bills so that they're able to connect virtually. Moving forward, we're also listening to families. One thing that I would hope that funders and service providers would do as we move forward, and I agree with you, Autumn, that this pandemic, you know, although things are opening up, there might be another surprise around the corner. Mm -hmm. But moving forward, I think that we cannot go back to the way we were um, operating I mean, of course, we can take some of those things and move that into the future, but we need to really look at how we can best listen to the families and try to utilize utilize more of those cultural um, tools that we have in our back pocket, you know, cultural settings, mm -hmm. informal settings, and more empathy interviewing, like listening to the families and implement services that will meet the needs, the needs that they have. So for funders in particular, one of the things that I constantly talk about is that we try to fix things into a box. And as individuals, as families, as humans in this world, on this planet, not, you know, not one size fits all. Yeah. <laughs> That's one thing we have to realize. One size does not fit all. We cannot fit people into a box. We cannot fit people's life stories and circumstances into a box. We have to approach it from an individual angle. We have to pro approach it case by case. So as funders, one thing that I like to say, and, you know, in the nonprofit world, we're really dealing with this right now, you know, as funders are listening, we are the expert in this work that we do. We are the expert because we incorporate the voices of our consumers. We incorporate family voices into everything that, I, that we do. Help us best serve the families as they want to be served in an authentic, authentic and compassionate manner. Yes, agreed. And, you know, sometimes it comes down to capacity. And what you've just said reminds me of the concept of, uh, I, I first ran across in, in Mexico City, of promotoras who would travel to women and teach them about how to care for their bodies, how to, you know, about reproduct their reproductive systems and all of that. And they would meet them in, in their living rooms, in the beauty parlors, in, you know, places where the community already gathered. And the only problem with that is it takes capacity, it takes staff time, and so I really do hope some funders are listening because I think that's the kind of thing you're talking about, meeting them where they are already. Okay. So, yeah. No, definitely. Meeting them where they are, incorporating their voice mm -hmm. into program development, program planning, right, and really looking at the family as a whole. Um, and also taking their cultural, their, their culture, their life experiences uh, into account. One thing that we also, as providers, have to be mindful of is just racial equity in general yes. and what's happening in the world. Whatever is happening in the world, uh, what happened yesterday in Colorado, what happened in uh, Atlanta, mm -hmm. it affects our families. It not only affects our families, it also affects our staff 
um, and the people who are delivering services. So really taking a look at how the interconnectedness of everything and how we can best support and build community around that. Mm -hmm. So as funders, you know, I tend to say, uh, and also as providers, we have to really look at how to push that work forward and be mindful of doing it in a compassionate and authentic manner. Absolutely. Jennifer, we just have a few minutes left, and I want to make sure we uh, we get to something important here. Um, YCCA, and again, if you've tuned in late, Yolo County Children's Alliance, uh, recently did a drive-up tax assistance program. I thought that was a great pivot for these times we're living in. And I'm wondering, uh, you know, what, what else is on the, the near horizon, what you have coming up that the public might want to uh, find out about? So we do have another drive-up tax assistance <laughs> assistance um, program this weekend. Um, we're trying to really um, outreach to our hard-to-reach communities mm-hmm. to make sure that they are filing taxes in order to be eligible for the federal stimulus payment as well as the Golden State stimulus payment. The Golden State stimulus payment is for families that make less than $30,000 a year. That Mm -hmm. comes directly from the state of California and, of course, the federal one that just um, passed. So we're not only reaching out to our families that we serve, we're trying to make sure that our homeless populations, although they don't have any income, they are also still eligible for the stimulus payment. So we're making sure that our homeless population also file taxes in order to be eligible for that. You know, creating income, um, creating opportunities for them to create income in order for us to work with them individually in finding housing um, as well as housing support around them. And then we also have, I I will be remiss to not admit that we have the big day of giving coming up uh, in May. (laughs) Yes. So big day of giving is coming up. That is a big deal for a lot of social services organizations in the area. So I would, I'm just going to make a plug plug for uh, our organization. Please take a look at our website at www.yolokids.org. We do wonderful work throughout Yolo County. Our home visitation program is throughout the county. Uh, Family Resource Center is in West Sacramento, but we serve the entire county in the work that we do with uh, CalFresh enrollment and health insurance enrollment, um, as well as uh, homeless services uh, program and our parenting program, which is throughout the county. So uh, what we are doing for Big Day of Gaming is that we're telling people, hey, we're asking you guys to support our organization while we're also supporting families in need with uh, basic needs event we'll be holding at the Family Research Center on May 8th. Uh, we'll do a drive with our partners like First Five, um, Yolo Food Bank, um, and some other organization in our area. We'll do a drive where families can pick up diapers, formula, wipes, a food bag, as well as jackets, you know, uh, clothing. Um, we're trying to do some shoes, any type of basic needs that we can fundraise for. That's what we're fundraising for right now in order to be able to do that uh, drive right. on May 8th. All right. Well, Geneva, we are at time, but I want to thank you so much for joining me today. The work that you and the whole team at YCCA does is 
is a really heavy lift and it comes from a place of, of deep compassion and care. And I thank you for that. And thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Um, please do check out our website. Um, I'm always available for a chat. Um, Autumn, I really appreciate you having us today and talking more about YCCA. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Take care. All righty. Bye. bye. Whew. You know, I sit here as someone who runs a nonprofit, and I think we're doing heavy lifting, we're doing good work. And then I talk to people like Jenaba, and I'm a little blown away. So again, that was Jenaba Lahai, Director of Programs for Yellow County Children's Alliance. I have one quick note about uh, an update to Healthy Davis Together, and then we'll go out on a little bit of music. I want to say when it comes to COVID-19, symptom-free doesn't necessarily mean virus-free, and asymptomatic individuals have helped this virus spread fast and far, which is why Healthy Davis Together urges weekly testing if you come into contact with others. The collaborative effort between UC Davis and the City of Davis provides free saliva-based asymptomatic COVID-19 testing. There are four locations in Davis, the newest one at Marguerite Montgomery Elementary in South Davis. They're also partnering with uh, CommuniCare, which is a federally qualified health care center, and they're doing vaccination clinics out in West Sacramento. So they've actually expanded beyond Davis. For info about any of these service, services, I encourage you to visit healthydavistogether.org. And on that note, I'm going to say you've been listening to the COVID-19 Community Report on KDRT in Davis, California. I'm Autumn Labbe-Renault, and I thank you for tuning in. I'll be back next week.